The opinions expressed on this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments or solutions may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities offered through Kestra Investment Services, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment Advisory Services through Kestra Advisory Services, LLC, and affiliate of Kestra IS. Kestra IS and Kestra AS are not affiliated with any entity herein. Welcome to the Finance Factory Podcast, where money is serious business, but not a soporific echo chamber like the rest. This is a show for people who want to build wealth and make wise financial decisions starting now. So put away your money show preconceptions and prepare to propel your knowledge and take some action. Here's your host and financial guide, Peter Huminski. Hello and welcome to the Finance Factory. I am your host, Peter Huminski. And with me today, I have the pleasure of welcoming... Attorney Leslie Tain. Leslie is an attorney and founder of the Tain Law Group. Leslie has nearly two decades of experience in the practice of consumer and business financial debt-related services. She she launched her firm, Tain Law Group, in 2001, and it is one one of the few New York State law practices concentrating in debt management, debt resolution, and alternatives to bankruptcy for consumers, business owners, and professionals who are in need of help with managing finances. Leslie and her firm deliver comprehensive consulting and support services for clients in all areas of debt, including credit cards, unsecured loans, lines of credit, and consumer-based loans, as well as business and student loan matters. Student loans is a really interesting topic. We'll definitely have to touch on that. Leslie is highly accomplished in negotiation and settlements with large national banks, credit unions, collection agencies, and multiple creditor legal representatives. Her mission is to reshape debt resolution alternatives by giving clients a supportive and reliable environment built on experience, trust, and results that will not only relieve clients of the stress from debts, but also the burden of of the never-ending debt cycle. Leslie's practice has grown since its establishment with offices now in Manhattan, White Plains, and Mount Kisco, and continues to expand. Uh, She's been featured and written content and been interviewed with many national and local outlets, including Forbes, the Huffington Post, Fox News, CNBC, Newsday, and the New York Daily News, to just quote a few. So this is going to be a really interesting conversation. I think um, I I run into a lot of folks who have debt issues. So um, why don't you start, Leslie, by telling us a little bit about how you got into this practice and how you kind of got into this business? What, What drove you to it? So I started out as in-house counsel to a national debt settlement company. It was really sort of a a fluke that I ended up in this industry. And I have to tell you, from when I was in law school, I would never have imagined that I would be practicing in this area. And in fact, at the time when I was in law school, well over 20 years ago, it it wasn't even a practice area. Yeah, I I can only imagine. Yeah. You know, sometimes practice areas pop up. Uh, you know, with changing time. So this is really one of them where there was really a need for, uh, for, for comprehensive debt resolution services that are beyond what companies can offer individuals and business owners. So again, I started out as in-house, uh, in-house counsel to a company. I left that and I started my own practice with the idea that this could be done from a law practice perspective, giving people the legal edge that they would need to be successful in not only resolving debt, but getting it done the right way and having that edge when it came to dealing with the creditors 
and uh, and really from the consumer perspective that the client needs to have that additional layer of protection from an attorney who understands not only the law, but understands what a creditor can and cannot do to a debtor, uh, but also giving that client the peace of mind that it's being done the right way and in the, in the best possible way so that there aren't legal issues that pop up. Because as you know, you said that you know people with debt issues. So usually debt issues will lead to legal issues. So with, with that in mind, this is where I laid out my practice. Interesting. So it kind of just evolved from just your own experiences. What, what made you, is, is, one of the questions I like to ask is, what made you start your own business? Because for most people, most business owners in particular, you know, it's kind of an evolution. They ran into something, they had a passion, they had a hobby, they had an opportunity um, that presented itself. Going into your own law practice after being in-house counsel, that's a pretty big step. Uh, it was a huge step. There's no doubt. And the reason why I ended up doing that is because truthfully, at the end of my time as in-house counsel, the uh, individuals that I worked for and I didn't see eye to eye on compliance related issues. There was there was some conflict on how the law was being interpreted and, and it wasn't my comfort level. And I felt that I could do a different, a better and a different kind of a job out there. So I left and I opened my own practice. And uh, it, it is a leap coming from an in-house counsel position. Although I wasn't there for 20 years or even 10 years, I, I didn't get into that uh, corporate mentality where I was there and I was restricted. I really was only there for a few years uh, and quickly left to start my own practice. So I didn't have any uh, preconceived um, even even uh, habits. Yeah, you weren't stuck. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't stuck at all. I was also very young. Uh, I was uh, under 30 years old, and I um, so I I was in a position where I had a lot of flexibility. And um, being young, when you start a, when you start a business young, uh, one you don't from at least from my perspective, you don't always know what you're getting yourself into, um, and you can't always foresee the future. But you allow yourself a lot of um, opportunity to be flexible, and I did have that opportunity to be flexible. So. To me, it didn't seem like I had any other option, to tell you the truth. I didn't want to work for anybody else. I really wanted to be able to take the, uh, the reins myself. I felt like I had a, I had a vision and I had a desire. Uh, I, had the, um, I just have the entrepreneurial mindset. And there's no way, you know, obviously looking back, there's no way that I could have really worked for anybody else. Uh, um, with the with trying to get this type of business off the ground because I needed the, and wanted the flexibility. So with that, I ran with it. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give your younger self when you were starting your business? Trust your judgment. I would say to myself, uh, though I had, a, I had a mentor at the time, another business person who I was able to reach out to uh, for assistance, but trust my judgment. I think early on when you're young and you're, you feel like you're floundering, especially when you start a new business, you're not really sure you're in completely uncharted territory. There's no map. And I know that it took some time for me to learn to trust my judgment, my instincts. Once I got to the level where I was able to trust myself and say, you know what, I'm making good decisions. These are the same things my mentor is mentioning to me. And I felt good about my decision making and my gut. Uh, things really started to move. I think early on you start to, you know, sometimes you doubt yourself and you're wondering what you're doing. You're working long hours 
you're not sure what direction your company's headed in and really what you want to do and where you want to take it. I mean, you know you want to be successful and get to a certain point, but sometimes that point is, not, you know, most of the time it's not a straight line. It's, it's really a bumpy road. And so that would be the number one advice I'd give myself. Trust yourself, go with it, and uh, you'll be successful. It's a one, there's that wonderful picture of um, the guy on the bicycle trying to ride to the top of the hill. And, you know, it's a straight line straight up to the top of the hill and he gets to the top. And it talks about um, our plan and God's plan. And God's plan is this giant squiggly line and takes you all over God, all over creation to get to your, your final destination. Um, no doubt. I feel that way regularly. Uh, Me too. And I can tell you that at this point in my life, uh, you know, after experiencing what I've experienced, not only in business and my personal life and my family, everything, it just is never a straight line. It's never what you expect. And I think the most successful entrepreneurs and one of the one of the reasons why I believe I am successful is because you have to go with it. You know, it's certain things get presented to you. You know, there's different forks in the road and you know, you, you take a you take a particular path and it may not have been the best choice, but you ride with it and you, you just weather the storm and you get to the other side. And, you know, there was a reason why you went through that. And you can look back and say, what did I learn from going through that process? And I think as a business owner, if you take that in your mind and you don't just, you know, have blinders on, you say, OK, I went through a difficult time or I'm going through a difficult, challenging time, either in growing my business, finding the funding, dealing with employees, all the challenges that us as entrepreneurs face. You know, what am I why am I going through this? You know, if you look at it like it's a learning experience and that it's there to teach you something, you know, you, you can stay, uh, you know, with that positive mindset and the and the and the goal being at the forefront of that answer. Yeah, I always say anchor yourself to your why and you'll be successful. Yeah, that's a good comment. Yeah. What do you see as the biggest challenge you are facing as a business owner? Uh, the biggest challenge I face as a business owner is feeding the pipeline. So it's uh, constantly bringing in new business and managing the business that we currently have and and. Uh, with that, what direction do we want to go with the business? I think my mindset is, uh, you know, I'm always, I'm always thinking about my business. What can I do with it? How can I expand it? What, you know, what, where can it grow? And all of that comes down to uh, focus. And there have been times when I've uh, lost sight of my of the ball, and I've uh, been distracted by other projects related to the business, but distracted, and really trying to come back to keeping my eye on the ball, which is bringing in new business um, and cultivating relationships to bring in new business. I think that's my most, my biggest challenge uh, that I face on a regular basis. And it's, I find it personally very frustrating at times uh, because every day is a day that I have to make it rain. Mm -hmm. And so the question, how do I make it rain? And is it enough rain? And did I plant the seeds properly so that they'll grow? And what else could I be doing to 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 grow and move my business in the direction I wanted to? Which is again bringing in new clients, feeding the pipeline, and that's all requires uh, focus. Yeah, business development's always one of those super challenging items to find the right balance between: Are you doing too much? where it's taking away from your ability to operate or you're doing too little, which will eventually kill off the business. 
right? Well, that's where you beat yourself up. That's where the entrepreneurial is for me. You know, that's that um, the push and pull in your own brain. Am I doing too much? Or am I doing too little? Should I be out there? You know, uh, I'm tired, but I went home or I have a family function that I need to attend, but I really should be at this networking event. And if I'm not at the networking event because I was too tired or wasn't feeling well, or I'm just burned out from the week, you know, then you start to... Yeah, the, the know, doubt it, creeps it in. This, yep, it starts to... It starts to... And then you have to refocus yourself. I think the important piece of the important piece of the puzzle is reminding yourself that you're doing the best that you can do and uh, every day is a new day and a new opportunity and uh, you know you can't accomplish everything in, in one day so what drives and motivates you every day I am an incredibly driven person uh, as a uh, um, as a general rule I think I, I'm very passionate about what I do. I actually, I really love my practice. I love the business. I find it uh, exciting and interesting. And I think that the passion for the business and the opportunity to be creative in my business. So I really have a passion for marketing. And I, th I think that that passion and creativity on the marketing end of things is what drives me. And what can I do today that's really interesting? How can I make my business, people aware of my business? How can I create the image that I want my business to have out there? How can I brand myself today? And, um, and I do love the business. I, I love the client contact piece. Uh, I love the fact that I can help people. I can completely fix uh, these, these debt problems. Um, the, the client doesn't always know that in the, in the beginning. It's my job to, to let them know that I can do it. But uh, I know I can do it. And it's very satisfying to get it all done. All right. So let's transition. That's a good jumping off point. Let's talk about how you work with clients and what it looks like. And maybe walk me through your typical client situation, what you see and what the situation looks like, and then how you can assist someone. So there are a few scenarios that are pretty common in my business. So you have a debt problem. That debt problem could be uh, credit cards. It could be business lines of credit. It could be uh, mortgage. It could be student loans. It's a debt problem. The debt problem translates to not necessarily even being behind. Yes, I have clients who are behind. Yes, people come to me with judgments, um, with all kinds of issues like that. But it's not necessarily just being behind. Many of my clients are paying their bills. They have good incomes. They pay their bills but they're not seeing any change in the debt scenario. So you got 50, 100 grand in debt and it's not changing. And every month you make a payment and at the end of the month, there's not a lot of cash flow and all your money is going to pay those bills and you don't really see a change. It's the treadmill my as business I call clients, it. No doubt, and I call it a flat line because business has really flat line these days, meaning that in the past, business owners would be, there would be a high, where there's lots of money coming in and then a low, and then quickly the high would come back. Today, that's not what we see. Today, what we see out there, which creates the debt problem, is that we see um, not as big of a high and a longer low period. And because the not as big of a high didn't produce enough cash flow to manage that individual through the low periods, they end up with credit card debt and other types of loan debt, personal loans, et cetera. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it so from that those, perspective. You know, that is, that's the trend that, that we see when, or, or as a general rule, that's what we see that causes the debt problem. There just isn't the cash right. flow anymore to 
compete with the, the expenses. And if you live in expensive areas like the New York metropolitan area uh, and other areas that are similar to that, you find that your expenses are going up, not commensurate with your income. So income is staying the same. And in many cases, my clients who earn big money are not getting the same bonuses they've gotten. Uh, businesses are just not earning what they've earned in the past. And w in order to make that adjustment, it's easy to make an adjustment when a lot of money comes in, but it's not as easy to make an adjustment when less money comes in because the mentality is that you start to think it's temporary, that, oh, if I just get this next piece of business or if I close this deal or if this person pays me, I'll be able to you know, catch up and it won't be a problem. And that spirals into a debt problem. So again, the debt problem is, is one of those scenarios. So you're having either difficulty or you're questioning the payments that you're making to the creditors. So that individual or business owner comes to me. Um, and when I say business owner uh, and business debt, most business debt that, that we're dealing with is consumer-based right. in personal. the sense that that individual is <laughs> correct. It's personally guaranteed. So, you know, unless you're, it's never, no debt is really in the name of the business alone. There's always a personal guarantee attached to it somehow. So, so the business debt is related to the individual and that's obviously impacting their personal life financially. So they come to us and what we do is we figure out what's going on. We're sort of doctors in the sense that, you know, I'm going to take your temperature financially, talk to them a little bit about what's happening, where the money's going, what are the big expenses, smaller expenses, how's business, where's the money coming from, is your spouse working, are the kids draining you, are you paying out more in college expenses than you should, are you, you, know, are you a sandwich generation where you're supporting the kids and your parents, you know, there's a lot of personal pieces that go into impacting the financial, so we take, we, you know, we take a basic, uh, uh, intake similar to a doctor, but uh, you know we ask a lot of questions related to the the financial health of the individual and business. Then we go into figuring out a strategy to resolve that individual situation. So it's like a fingerprint. No two debt problems are identical. Yes, you, two people can have American Express and two people can have uh, Capital One bank credit cards or loans from Wells Fargo, but that doesn't mean they're going to be resolved the same, and that doesn't mean that. The bank is going to be willing to resolve things the same way. So it's not a one-size-fits-all, and that's sort of what you see out there with some of these big companies. It's a one-size-fits-all, you know, come to us, we'll fix your problem. But it's really not like that, and it's a dangerous way to sort of look at a very personal situation. For You wouldn't go to a general practitioner to have heart surgery. So even though that general practitioner can kind of diagnose and say, you got a heart problem and maybe you should take some medicine, but it's not really the best way to go because it's not really going to resolve the underlying problem, which is the bleeding in the right. finances. So we come up with a strategy and the best way to manage that. And sometimes that's not paying those creditors uh, and the settlement process. Sometimes that's you know filing paperwork in court to get a client where they need to be. Uh, and we, so we come up with a basic payment plan based on the total amount of debt that the individual has. And we make it so that the uh, amount that they're paying is so little that it fits really well into a budget. And then we take over and we uh, deal with the creditors directly. We'll negotiate with them. We'll create new agreements with them. And we will set up the payments. We'll pay the creditor. And we'll make sure all the paperwork is exactly the way it's supposed to be. And uh, we'll stick to our plan. I mean, things do happen because the process is not necessarily slow. Uh, I mean, quick. The process can be slow in the sense that it could take 12 months. It could take three years. It could take four years, depending on the complexity of the debt situation and the cash flow. 
What we do find, though, is that it's very successful and it works well because we really take the monkey off, the, off their back. The monkey is the debt problem, the finances, and the money. Once that's off your back and you're not thinking about that on a regular basis or waking you up in the middle of the night about how you're going to pay certain bills or arguing with your spouse about spending or the kids, then that changes the whole dynamic and, and uh, the opportunity that that individual has to get themselves back together while we're dealing with the creditors, and it all comes together really well in a nice plan, and they're out of debt uh, you know, in, a, in a three to five year period of time and with minimal, minimal impact on the uh, credit situation. And the best piece is the cash flow because we help increase cash flow. And by doing so, that gives the family, individual business owner the opportunity to get caught up and get themselves back in a really comfortable position again financially. Now, so interesting, or something just popped in my head. Um, cash flow planning is probably the biggest challenge most people struggle with. I don't want to use the budget word because it's not, it's a dirty word, as, as we say. Um, it's a spending plan or cash flow planning or whatever you want to call it. But that seems to be the biggest challenge, regardless of your income for most people to wrap their head around. They don't know where their money's going most of the time, and they don't realize how much is just leaking out everywhere, everywhere. Um, and it's, for many people, it's you know hundreds to thousands of dollars every month just leaking out in 10, 20, 50, $100 increments that they just don't even realize. And then that leads to well, shoot, we had to use the credit card for this and the credit card for that. My question is, after you have somebody come through this process, how many people end up getting back into that situation again because they don't have the right advice or understanding or even just planning? I mean, I know sometimes situations happen where, you know, people get sick or something happens that they just can't avoid it, but... Is there, do you see a recidivism of, you know, 10, 15, 20% or is there, you have a number or no number? It's small. No, we have a number. There's a recidivism rate, but it's, it's definitely not up at that, those levels. It's, I'm going to say it's, it's okay. uh, 5% or less when they go through my process, uh, when they go through a bankruptcy uh, like especially at chapter seven, uh, there's a higher rate cause it's, a, it's a quick fix and they didn't really learn the, uh, didn't really resolve the underlying issue. Or if somebody went in and took a, they went, took a debt settlement loan or a debt consolidation program. Uh, we see a lot of recidivism from those programs where they come over to us and they say, wow, I wish I had met you a year or two earlier. Um, so from our program, they really don't because the reality is that we set them up on a different kind of a, uh, again, without using the word budget, we on a different plan. So we've managed the credit card piece. They're able to pay some of their other bills. We've examined their expenses. And what we do is we have an open door policy throughout the entire process that the client can call us at any time to discuss financial related decisions so that we can help them start to think about, you know, does it make sense to refinance your house? How should I pay for my kid's college? Uh, you know, before what we find out is before is people are so quick to find that debt consolidation loan. They're so quick to borrow from their 401k or, or get student loans just to pay for things. 
Now, what we try to do for clients is we try to help educate them. Let's talk about, does it make sense to refinance? How long are you going to stay in that house? What are the costs related to refinancing? If you took a home equity line of credit, how long do you have to pay that? Can you budget that in your budget? You know, we're really asking the client the questions that they need to be asking themselves that they just don't have the skill or the experience to ask. And it's not for lack of education. It's not that my clients who are doctors or lawyers or accountants or very successful business people don't know how to manage themselves or their money or they haven't been educated. They are. But sometimes when you're dealing with things yourself, it's very difficult to ask the question because your ultimate goal in getting that, you know, you'll start to justify why you need to do something. When you have somebody like me who comes in and says, wait a second, let's slow down. Let's find out what the options and opportunities are for yourself or your family or your business. Does this really make sense? How does this fit in with your short and your long-term goals? Can you really afford to do what you say you're going to do? And I'm very, as you can tell from my personality, I am very direct. So when I talk to my clients, I always tell them early on, I, I'm going to be, I'm not here to, uh, um, I'm, I'm your friend, I'm your, your, uh, your uh, confidant, but, and I'm your attorney, but I'm not here to, to necessarily tell you what you want to hear. I'm here to tell you what I think the best road will be. That's what you're paying me for. So I'm not going to tell you, oh, it's okay to spend $70,000 a year, you know, on your kid going to college when you, you know, you barely can pay your mortgage every single month. And you're now going to put yourself into debt with Parent PLUS loans until you're about 90 years old. You know, my position would be, does your kid really have to go to that school? Is it really a necessity? Is that what the outcome is going to be? Is, is your kid going to earn enough money to pay back those loans? I'm here to ask the questions and bring up the topics and the information that you might not be thinking so that you can make a good decision about whether it makes sense to go forward with a loan or go forward with additional uh, spending or uh, how many how many life insurance policies do you need when you're 75 years old? Sometimes I tell my clients you don't need any of those. You're not supporting a young family anymore. You don't you don't need to be spending money in a particular area. You don't. Yeah, it's the real need three timeshare. It's the you real know, talk in, in the financial planning process that I like to talk about. It's you know it's keeping people in line, so to speak, because. Well, my business owners me they've had somebody working for them for 30 years and they're and they you know they've been working for me for 30 years and i'm paying them x amount of dollars and uh, but they're really you know they hardly work anymore and they want to go down you know they come in when they feel like it and you know again it, that's a hard decision to make yeah that may be true but if you're not getting out of it what you need to get out of it you can't drain yourself financially and that's that's where people uh, I separate the emotional piece of of financial decision making to the business side of it. And when you can make a business decision about finance finances, whether they're personal or business, you will always make the right decision. As soon as you get emotional about those financial decisions, that's when you get into a situation yep. where you're not going to totally make agree the best with that. decision. And I'm right. And I'm not emotional about. It. I'm not attached at all in any way, shape, or form to my clients' finances. I mean, I'm sympathetic and empathetic to their circumstances and situations, but that doesn't mean that I have I I have no problem telling somebody that they don't belong in a house that they're in, that they are just spending. They're never going to be able to afford to keep it, and no judge would grant it to them. And um, sometimes people sit up in their chair and they look at me. They're like, "No one's ever told me that before." I said, "Well." That's the truth. So I've got a question because I've always wondered because I see 
you see them like on the side of the road and things like that, which if you're if you see so, a phone number on the side of the road telling you something, you should probably never call it. But those credit repair, and I'll call it a scam just because I don't even really know anything about it and I've never called any of it. But I actually know people who have tried to go through that credit repair process and paid money to somebody, which just blows my mind. Um, and I've always thought it was a scam. So maybe you could touch on it a little bit to explain to listeners kind of what it is, because I'm sure it's something you know more about than I do. I do. I, I don't always like to characterize them as scams because the intention of the individual who's doing that may not be to just take somebody's money and not do anything about it. Um, but uh, in the many, many, many years I've been practicing, especially in the debt consolidation arena, I've seen lots of companies in these areas come and, gro- come and go, uh, good, bad, and otherwise. I've seen lots of clients come to me after they've made that call to something they saw or they got a letter or they got a phone call from a very fast-talking individual. Um, in the credit repair arena, uh, when I'm looking at credit reports and credit repair, so this is what I tell clients. If it's been accurately reported by one of your creditors on your credit report, it's nearly impossible to get that taken off. So the idea with um, writing letters or trying to get your credit repaired and uh, disputing things on your credit report, uh, yeah, in some cases it might work temporarily. But the reality is if you really want to resolve your finances, your credit, your debt, all those things the right way, you have to get your debt under control in order to have good credit. Yes, everybody makes mistakes, and, and there are times when your credit is dropped, And but credit scores are not only the, the most important thing. It's become a little bit of propaganda and a lot of marketing, a lot of really good marketing on the part of some of the uh, credit companies because they talk about you having to have this great credit score. And it's true that a great credit score is very important, but it's not very important in and of itself. So you can't look at a credit score of 800 or above where a small percentage of the population has something like that and say, that's my ultimate goal. Because you can have, and I have plenty of people who come to me with fantastic credit scores, but they are not credit worthy whatsoever. So you could sit there and you could try to have a great credit score, but without money in the bank, uh, a job that you've had consistently, uh, your debt to income ratio under control, not just making payments every single month to your creditors, but having a, a large amount of available credit versus the amount of debt that you have. And again, most importantly is money in the bank. That credit score is not going to do you any good because no bank is going to loan you money without some usurious interest rate, meaning interest rates at eight or 10 or 12 or higher percentages. So and if you're going to take a loan at those kind of percentages, you better be prepared that, that you're going to have a difficult time paying that off. So when I see credit repair and people come to me about credit repair, I always ask, what is your purpose of credit repair? Is it to get a great credit score or is it because you actually have something on your credit report that doesn't belong there that was reported inaccurately and you're going to dispute that? If you're going to dispute that, that makes sense. But if you're really looking just to change the score on a temporary basis, it's really not the best way to do that. And then I see suggestions made by credit repair people to individuals like go out and get yourself uh, a particular credit card, a, a secured credit card to build your credit. You know, I see little things like that, or they tell them don't close your 25 different credit cards. 
And again, in a bubble, they sound like they're, they're uh, important pieces of information. But when you're looking at the totality of your financial situation, so again, that's the position that I've taken in my business. I'll look at your credit report, but let me see your income. Let me see what's happening with your house or your rent or your children or your spouse. Let me see how old you are, what your um, income potential is, what's, what's, and what's going on to see whether any of that really makes sense. So when you're looking at credit repair, I'm not going to characterize it as a scam, but I will suggest to individuals and people who are thinking about doing credit repair that it's not just something that you should look at in a bubble. You really need to take a look at your finances and your debt, what's going on, and understand your credit report. And not just your, quote, FICO score, because that's not your credit score. That's your FICO score. Understanding your credit score from Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax. Understand how to read that score. Understand what it's showing the trade lines on your credit report. Get an education. Don't just go to somebody who says, yeah, no problem. I'll take care of it. Give me $3,000 and I'll fix it for you. That's not the type of individual that you want to go to. And that brings me to the mortgage situation. I had a client come to me. They paid some guy four grand to um, try to hold off a foreclosure. And when that didn't happen and the paperwork went into foreclosure, this individual was not an attorney advised these people to file an answer, quote, pro se, which is on your own, and ended up causing more issues than, uh, than possible. The house is close to being auctioned off at this point. So, you know, we're coming in sort of in the bottom of the ninth and, and trying to get into extra innings here. Do not be penny wise and pound foolish and do your research before you make a decision about who you're willing to work with. Who is that person? Who is that company? Where are they located? Uh, are they an attorney? Is there a another? Uh, is there a governing body that can um, police these individuals? So, for example, obviously, I'm an attorney. I'm licensed to practice law in the state of New York. If I, there's anything wrong, you can go to the grievance committee. You know, I have a license to lose. Who are the people that you're dealing with? How long have they been in business? Um, you know, can you meet with them and, and do you feel comfortable when you do meet with them? Again, that goes back to your, your gut instinct. The problem is that there's a vulnerability piece to people who are in debt. And unfortunately, when things aren't going well in business and things aren't going well at home and finances are tight, you become very vulnerable and you're not thinking that clearly. And there's an emotional piece that starts to take over. You're not sleeping well. You're arguing with your spouse or your partners. And that piece of the puzzle doesn't allow you to make a good decision in who you're working with. So um, my recommendation would be to be, be very careful and cautious and aware. Do your research. There's plenty of information online. Uh, go to somebody reputable and um, make a, make some. take your time with it. Don't rush into it. No, nothing happens overnight. And um, sometimes there's, there's enough time. But don't allow things to spiral and snowball to a place where yeah, you're under the gun and you feel pressure to make decisions. From my perspective, when we meet a client, just as a final note on my, that topic, I never pressure anybody to make a decision. I don't want you to come to me unless you're sure this is what you want to do and you're clear in everything that I'm going to do for you. And that's how you should be when you go to not only doctors, but you, when you go see professionals who are managing your money and your finances, be very clear. You should be able to explain exactly points. what's going to be um, happening. Know who you're working with. Trust that they can actually get the job done. And if you can't trust that fact, then find somebody else. Don't procrastinate on doing things. 
understand what your situation is or find somebody who can help you understand what your situation is and then take action. Okay. Right. Yeah, Google is a yeah, great so thing. I don't know what we it. all did before Google. Google is a great tool. I think we just trusted people more. I don't know. Yeah, but probably, I know I, it was. I have a hard time remembering it, though. Yeah, I guess it was a different world. All right. Light. Uh, yeah, that's true. Even I mean, I I, went to look, Google wasn't around when I was in college or grad school. Um, it's only been a, in the last 12, 15 know, years that it's been around. So. All right. Yeah, but even an encyclopedia became outdated saying, as new things were, were uh, <laughs> being discovered or added or changed. I remember the Encyclopedia Britannica salesperson came to the house when I was a kid. This is just a funny aside story. And we bought the encyclopedia. This is probably 1985 or six, somewhere around there. And then he came back the following year to sell us the new encyclopedias because all of the information in the old ones had changed. <laughs> or at least that was the pitch he made anyway. So, all right, time for lightning right. round. Favorite movie? Funny. Favorite quote? The color purple. Favorite type of music? Just do it. Okay. Beach or mountains? Anything you can sing and dance to. This is probably an easy one, but city or country? Beach. <laughs> so it's that's the hardest question. Um, I, I, Favorite my word? tells me city. Um, city. Favorite word. Um, good question. Uh, my favorite word. It's a, more of a several words, but, um, favorite book, I guess. Yes. Would be my favorite word or win. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna date <laughs> okay. myself and go back to a book that I loved I as a child called Socks. I, I was gonna say I think I remember that book from middle school. Beverly Cleary. I don't think favorite box of cereal. Yep. The most influential person in your life to whom you are not related. Uh, Frosted Flakes. Google. <laughs> um, most influential person in my life who I'm not related to. Uh, I don't know if there's a, there is no single one. Um, I follow a lot of different business people. Uh, okay. And I take a little bit That's from each enough. one of them. So there's no single person who's the most influential person If you're on an island and can only bring three things, me. what would you bring? Well, assuming I don't need my allergy medicine, 
Mm-hmm. Um, my family. I hope that counts as one big group. <laughs> Got to have plenty of data um, signal out there. A cell phone with Wi-Fi. Because <laughs> uh, I don't I don't know. How, right. Because I don't know how I could be off the internet for very and long. And boat so you can get home. Um, You're the first person who's ever said a way to get home off of the island. Most people always think yep. survival, not how to get off. So, yep, gets boring after a while. There, you, there you go. How do you define no, su- this final question? Surviving. How do That's you define success? I'm surviving. Mm-hmm. Happiness. I define it by uh, whether I'm happy, and um, and I'm happy. Uh, I'm happy with my business. I'm happy with my family. Uh, I, I know I do the best job I could do. I'm happy with myself. So happiness is how I define success. Some, I, I guess some people might say a lot of money or uh, other ways, but happiness. I agree. It, and, th- and there's something happiness to really is a hard thing about to happiness. It brings achieve for most people, even so many even people who by and by every energy. definition of society are that are by every definition of society are ultra successful they generally aren't very happy so that is a great that's a great answer that's true and you read about a lot of mm-hmm. people um um certainly uh we knew that from a, a lot of uh business people who are, are miserable people um, what's to be miserable about uh, when you're, you know, when you've you've made it like that? There's no reason to be miserable. You know? I'm thankful every day for, and I, and I think it's really important, uh, not just for my personal self, but for my business. I'm thankful for my business. I say it every day. I'm thankful for my staff. I'm thankful for my clients. I'm thankful for my health. I'm thankful for my family, and I'm thankful that I have happiness because I see a lot of, like you said, a lot of unhappy people, uh, and I can't imagine. Um, I'm certainly uh, living totally in a agree. place where um, yeah. I would be uh, so miserable. What what can he gain out of that? Like, look at the Steve Jobs situation. I had everything under the sun, success and uh, respect, and, and and he was such yeah, a miserable I, guy. And in the end, he he died in. You never had people who say, death, "I wish I had worked more in the uh, office." What does that get you? So you can't look back and say, I wish "How can people happen. find you or get in contact with you?" If they've got questions or concerns or want to learn more. Lots of different ways. I wrote a book called Life and Debt. So they can find lifeanddebtbook.com. They can Google me, Leslie Tain. You can certainly reach me um, at our main office uh, on Long Island, 631-470-8204. Tainlaw.com, T-A-Y-N-E-L-A-W.com. Uh, we do have offices, on, like you said, on Long Island, Manhattan, Westchester, and in Florida. In South Florida, we're going to be opening um, a couple of offices this year. Uh, we can have clients across the country, and we have. Uh, we have some restrictions. I'll make in sure some to states, include but, all of that in the uh, show notes as well. A, uh, but Leslie, basis. thank you for your time. And, it was really uh, interesting learning Leslie more Tain. about you how you help me. clients. And um, I think it was very useful information. Um, I, I know a lot of people struggle with debt and it's a major issue, even regardless of your income level, debt, debt can be a challenge. Um, so I really appreciate 
Everybody has that's my final quote. Everybody has debt. It's a matter of what you do with it. There's no shame in having debt. It's about how it's managed. And it's okay to have it. And it's okay to have a problem with it. You just have to seek out the right help. And and honestly, there are ways to get out of it and lots of different strategies. Don't be embarrassed about it at all. That's the one thing everybody comes to me so embarrassed. Uh, I understand there's an embarrassment and shame piece of it. Yeah, stuff happens as you're trying to live life. I, I completely it's, agree. Uh, it's so part of life and it's part for of business. Peter Huminski and, and the Finance how to, or, how to manage the finance Factory, I'm Peter Huminski and want to thank Leslie again for joining us. Until next time, I hope you have a great day. Thanks for listening to The Finance Factory, hosted by Peter Eminski. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app to catch future episodes. Please remember, the opinions expressed on this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments or solutions may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities offered through Kestra Investment Services, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment Advisory Services through Kestra Advisory Services, LLC, and affiliate of Kestra IS. Kestra IS and Kestra AS are not affiliated with any entity herein.